Hello and welcome to Shape the System, where we find and tell the stories that help people to rethink the way the world works. We interview people from all over the world who are helping to change our systems for the better. Shape the System is an independent podcast with support from KPMG High Growth Ventures, who help ambitious founders and their teams scale up for success. More about KPMG High Growth Ventures after the interview. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Shape the System. Talking to Scott Graham today from Rex Energy. Stoked to have you here, Scott. Oh, we're stoked to be here, and thank you for the invitation. I firstly want to understand why there's a Roman helmet behind you, and then we can dive into the interview. <laughs> That's right. There's a, there is a uh, King Leonidas helmet behind me. That's actually real horse hair on it. That's right. And uh, the, the story behind that is I ended up at these markets called the Umundi Markets. Okay. And there was this guy selling movie props, so I bought it. And it was, it's, it's actually, that thing is super heavy. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, probably the kind of thing they wear into battle. Is there any parallel here with what you guys are trying to do or just uh, look, look, charge charge the field, man. You know, there's um, never give up. That is an absolute, from an entrepreneur's perspective, it's almost like those of people who give up, they were just about to find success. Yeah. You know, they would have just taken another few steps or gone another few days. Kind or of. held out a bit longer, I think, in the case of the 300. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. All right, so we're going to get into all that, which is fun. But what I'm what I want to start with is I want to understand kind of the energy market, and we haven't actually spoken that much about energy on the show before. We had the Amber guys in quite a while back. Yeah, and there's potentially some parallels here, but let's putting that to to one side. Energy is obviously huge in a kind of broad brush of energy, but I want to narrow it down to the part of the sector market that you tackle that the Rex Energy tackles. So let's just firstly talk about what that is, and help me understand the size of that market in terms of overall energy usage and where that's all going and how that's playing out at the moment. Let's start. Absolutely. Well, if we talk about, if we just start with the energy markets, where they are today and where they're going, it's horrifying, right? The federal government, I believe, just a few weeks ago announced that there was going to be a 56% increase in the cost of electricity across the board mm-hmm. in Australia over the next 24 months. We're already amongst some of the highest electricity costs in the world. And and that really has a lot to do with how big our country is, our small population, and the massive amount of transmission distribution that is required to cover that big landscape, right? Mm-hmm. And span that big landscape. So just a few of us have to pay for big infrastructure. That's one of our problems, but not all of them. And the other big issue that we're trying to tackle in the industry is something, it's been an age-old issue. It's actually been a completely ignored segment of the renewables energy market, and that is the tenants that operate, like the majority of the world lives and operates, lives and works, let's say, inside multi-tenant properties. Right. right? But if you're a tenant in a multi-tenant property, you don't own the roof. Hmm. And how do you access the roof? And then the electrical infrastructure. And many times you don't even own the building itself, right? You're just a tenant. You might own the walls of your tenancy, but you certainly have no equitable access to the roof space or the communal energy infrastructure to install renewable energy. And um, so what we set out to do is say, hey, there's a big problem here. We've got it. That needs to be fixed because the tenants that uh, live and work inside multi-tenant properties receive really the worst energy rates in the entire country as a result. So you you don't get those big industrial discounts that the big industrial operations get. And you certainly don't have 
the really low energy rates that kind of exist in the single tenancy households because they can apply renewable energy. Right. Interesting. There's right. a few things I want to unpack here. So sure. the first of those is just in this set, this, you know, mushy middle, if you want to call it, not the big end of town, not the little end of residential, which both have some levers and controls that they can pull. How much of our energy usage, say Australia is a microcosm for globally, potentially, is in that sector? If I were to sum that up, uh, so our total available market in the country of Australia exceeds $275 billion. Of energy consumption. Yes. So of of project work and energy consumption. Energy consumption sits in the billions in this realm. And it um, it is a horrifying prospect, especially as you see energy rates going up. More people moving into multi-tenant properties, they're horrified. Yeah. And there's not a lot of levers you can pull. I want to... My, my understanding, having some very limited exposure to having to renegotiate our energy at an office we had a couple of years ago when we had an office, yeah. was some nature of kind of a PPA. Is that what it's called? I think a purchase power agreement. It, yeah. it, are they, I, I want to use that more as an entree to understand what are the levers at the moment, sort of prereqs that kind of exist in the market for someone in this multi-tenant or residential development to, to even pull. Absolutely. And that's an excellent question, actually. The market had something called embedded networks and embedded networks certainly had their space. Uh That's where you install all of the energy entering a multi-tenant property, whether it's a shopping center, a homemaker center, a residential building, or even retirement communities. It makes no difference. Those big main cables are actually put through one big meter, right? It's called a CT chamber, right? right? And in that CT chamber, there's a big meter that exists and it meters all of the energy that enters or, of course, exits uh, from renewable generation, if that's the case, mm-hmm. a particular multi-tenant property. So it treats all of the tenants as one. And you can kind of buy the energy in a Costco format, right? right. So you're buying energy in bulk a little bit. Yeah. But since the wholesale markets have had those massive fluctuations recently, the majority of embedded network companies have unfortunately gone out of business or are in the process of going into insolvency as a result of they would lock in a low fee for those tenants for yeah. a period of time, maybe five years or even sometimes 10 years. And then um, with that marketplace volatility, it's actually made a situation where these embedded network operators are buying energy for more than what they're selling it for. Right. And so it's created a bit of a, uh, you know, an upside down situation for them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was we still that played out in the, in the retailer space, yep. uh, you know, earlier in this year, we're almost at the end of the year. Um, as we, as we have this conversation and it's interesting as well, like just going down that rabbit hole for a second here, these, I guess, part of the problem with the way these embedded players worked was that they were trying to make their money out of the arbitrage on the thing, but that left them horribly exposed to the thing itself with no way to control that because they didn't control all the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. I mean, maybe they could have solved that with hedging. And so it, it kind of leads me to a, to a thought or a question, and this is not something I know, but is that there's kind of been bits of the technology available to be able to do this kind of multi-tenancy management, but it kind of hasn't modernized with what's happened with renewable energy. Am I reading between the lines right on that? Absolutely. It certainly has not modernized in any such capacity. Look, our energy grids this year are 140 years old. Right. 1882, Thomas Edison designed and built the world's first centralized energy transmission, distribution, and generation system, right? And uh, it was DC power at the time, Vincent. But, you know, certainly um, what happened was Tesla invented the AC motor, electric motor, right? And Westinghouse won the World Fair. And then we just changed everything to AC power. It was more cost effective to run on AC power than DC power. Um, And so, look, we've been basically operating the same way 
for 140 years. Right. But what started to happen in, in the marketplace is in the, the energy grids were fully directional, right, Vincent? So that means that we were producing energy at, at one place, transmitting it and distributing it to where it's consumed. Uh-huh. But nowadays we have renewable energy inside the network in single tenant properties and they're producing energy and then sending energy back to the grid, which means the grid is now evolving into more of a bi-directional type of a situation. Uh-huh. It was never built for that. It's not designed for that. And it actually has degraded our ability to provide energy in a predictable fashion into the marketplace. It's actually making energy more expensive. As yeah. a result. I want yeah. to un- understand, because I, I think we tend to use this word, the grid, and, and mentally I, I leap to, there's a power line out there, that's the grid. It is. But I feel like the grid is probably more than that. Like when we talk about the grid, what are, what is the ma- the major components to, that make up a thing that someone in the industry would actually call the grid? Awesome question. So the grid consists of large-scale centralized generation, right? Okay. So the people that run out to the desert and uh, install either a coal-fired power plant or a solar farm, right, in the middle of nowhere, right, hundreds of kilometers away from where it's actually consumed, that's centralized generation. Mm -hmm. And then we have centralized transmission. And those are those really big, huge towers, right, with those massive cables. And when it rains, you can kind of hear them buzzing, right? Um, That's that's, near them kind of thing. Don't go near them. Uh, Don't buy a house near them. There's (laughs) a lot of electromagnetic field uh, around those, which is not healthy. And then um, we have substations, right, which takes that those big cables coming from those uh, high voltage cables, right? And it punches that um, energy down to something called medium voltage, right? Uh, And substations are those fenced in locations with a whole bunch of crazy looking electrical devices in them. And you drive past them and you look at it and you go, yeah, it says danger, high voltage. I'm not going to go hang out there tonight. Yeah. Yep. And then you have your uh, distribution poles and wires, right? Some of them are actually underground. Some cables are ran underground, but you can use those poles and wires where mm-hmm. you see a lot of older neighborhoods have them, a lot of older areas in Australia. I think mm-hmm. we've started the um, process of maybe running a lot of that infrastructure underground now. And then we have our medium voltage to low voltage transformers, right? And those are those green, those big green boxes, right? Uh, that and sit on the ground. Kind of thing. Yeah. And that's really what the grid is. And it's public. The majority of that is actually publicly owned unless you're in certain states where it's a bit of a more of a kind of a a model where private companies have bought a lot of that infrastructure of incident, right? Mm -hmm. But in in Queensland, for instance, all of that infrastructure is is publicly owned. Uh, uh, So until it gets to your facility or your building, that that is what we refer to as the energy grid. Got it. And one of the reasons why I asked this was because it feels like a lot of that is kind of connecting infrastructure at varying degrees of scale. And there's probably intelligence at a switch level, but it feels to me like that grid itself, other than maybe what's happening in the centralized power thing, doesn't have a lot of kind of grid level intelligence. And is that part of the challenge you face when energy comes in the front door? You're like, well, we need to add the intelligence in because we're essentially like a small grid ourselves inside one of these buildings. Uh, look, there's very high level intelligence that's that's involved with that, Vincent, mm-hmm. um, kind of 30,000 foot view intelligence at the moment. Mm-hmm. There are wonderful companies out there that are, you know, making a really big push to add some intelligence at the uh, substations and transformers mm-hmm. so that we can understand a little bit more about what regions and what areas uh, are actually imposing a lot of energy demand and at what times of day. But mm-hmm. look, one of the other issues that exists, there's a, there's a number of issues that actually exist with the centralized energy grids. And I believe wholeheartedly, so you know, in the future, that the centralized energy grids of every country 
will only be there to, to uh, back up what you cannot generate, store, and supply yourself right. at all of your own facilities. That, and I believe that to be completely true. Yeah. But one of the other issues is that the, the grid and the energy retailers in the grid tend to only meter in 30-minute intervals, uh. right? So they're only taking a snapshot every 30 minutes. And um, that, boy, that, that's quite slow. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the speed of light. So, yeah, speaking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, good. I've got, I've got a couple of kind of follow on questions here. Just, but for the first one, mainly relating to kind of, it was something I sort of touched on just a bit earlier, but in terms of the bits of the technology that have been around to understand, like a smart meter is probably a simple version, but at your scale, it's something that deals with a lot more type of pieces of the puzzle, or those puzzles are moving much faster, or there's a lot more variables. That technology, bits of it have been around for a while, but but it's I'm only really seeing in the last few years the emergence of really bringing those things together in kind of the way that you guys are doing, which we wanted to dive into a little bit. What, what's changed that means that this is now really critical and important or possible? Yeah, look, uh, if, if we're talking about smart metering and, and um, old meters were quite analog, right? They had that kind of that little disc that spins in them or whatever, right? Yeah. And you had to send someone out to read those meters. It would astonish you mm. how many sites actually still use those meters. Even big buildings, massive buildings. Um, <laughs> if they've been around for a few years. They still send a meter reader out, Vincent, to meet, read the meters at those buildings. Wow! I have been to. I would say, you know, I I, I used to do a lot of work in buildings. It was about three and a half years ago. And I would still say about seventy percent of the buildings that I entered had those meters. Wow. Amazing. So it is. It is. It isn't the the text there, but you're. You know, someone like you or me would see it because we're aware that the text there. But the vast majority of these buildings are still massively underutilized from a technology perspective. And kind of a follow-on question to that is, is and we. I think you slightly answered it before, but maybe if there's more to it, is the thing that's driving the opportunity now for for you guys and for the industry generally is just what's happening with renewables and the variability of energy and energy prices meaning that the opportunity is there and I guess the emergence of storage as well. Is that kind of the, the big levers at play here? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a few levers. Uh, look, I, I think if we go back to the smart metering real quick, and it's important to understand that smart meters cost money. Installing those smart meters, there's really not a return on investment for those. Right. So if there's, a, if there's a meter that's in place and it's sitting there and it's working, they're not going to remove it and replace it because that's, that's going to require generally an entire meter panel upgrade to bring it all up to code. That's called, right. considered major works, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to answer that. And I also wanted to say that smart meters really aren't that smart. Right. Right. They're, they're really just capable of sending information to the cloud right. and maybe taking a few more snapshot readings than what an old meter might be able to do. So, yeah, smart meters do enable, you know, a, a little bit of detection as to um, energy moving back to the grid. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they can read something called power factor, but that enables the energy grids to actually charge you more. Right. Right. I so really, yeah, they're, they're a tool. Uh, they're actually more of a tool to charge you more. <laughs> and so uh, just so you know, look, there, there are a number of factors that are contributing to why um, Rex Energy uh, is emerging as, as a, you know, a major player in, in the marketplace. And, and one of them certainly is the volatility, as you've, as you've uh, mentioned, of the uh, na- nation's energy retail market, the wholesale market. It is just going everywhere. And the federal government knows it's in trouble. You know, you had Anthony Albanese the, the other day talking about it. Right. And then they're saying, look, uh, we're going to try to fix the wholesale market price. But then when the wholesale markets go above that, we're just going to subsidize it. Well, that's still our money. We're still paying for it. Government money is our money. And we need to realize that in Australia. And we need to right. think things through a bit a bit more intelligently, right? 
So that's one big, what's one major issue. And I'm not certainly not casting blame on anyone because this is a very difficult or, or either party of any government in any such capacity because coal is becoming more expensive and it's becoming untenable as a power source, right? It's becoming untenable for a number of reasons. Um, you know, one, certainly the, the cost of coal is going up because demand of it is, in, is decreasing in the world. So the laws of supply and demand apply to everything, right? Yeah. And then we also have, a, you know, a number of issues that we're all aware of, and that's carbon emissions. You know, carbon emissions is not very popular these days. We're willing to pay a little more for energy in some instances to avoid those carbon emission issues. So we're just really not maintaining coal-fired power plants. We're allowing them to kind of, you know, self-destroy. And when they're done, we're just going, okay, well, you know, we're going to, to back that up with renewables, Vincent, right? Right. And large-scale renewables are expensive to deploy, right. right? There are still transmission and distribution losses associated directly with solar systems that are installed in the desert uh, as it would be if there were coal uh, yeah. power plants there, right? So we have to be mindful of that. But the difference is, is that you can produce energy only during the day, and then uh, you need to overproduce energy during the day then, right? And then store that in some form of energy storage that's cost-effective. Lithium, unfortunately, when you run the numbers, is actually really not a cost-effective method of storing energy. Mm. Lithium is extremely expensive. It's highly, uh, you know, flammable, right? And I don't know if you've ever seen uh, you know, someone mix lithium with water. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's. it's I was going to say the videos of occasionally when it happens to a Tesla, but <laughs> exactly. I don't want to throw exactly. this brand under. But there's those videos are floating around, and they are real. But it's hard to do in a car, obviously. They are real. And certainly Elon Musk is doing a wonderful job of transitioning right. the world to a renewable future. But look, the, the fact is, is that um, lithium makes a pretty good spot for you to roast some marshmallows out every morning, <laughs> right? So, and you don't want that in a residential building and you don't want that in a commercial <laughs> building, I wouldn't think. Yeah. The marshmallow shop. <laughs> yeah. Well, a, a number of factors. And certainly uh, the other thing that's happening is, is we're finding that a lot of folks are approaching us and they're saying, hey, you know, I, I want to decarbon, I want to build carbon-free neighborhoods. Uh -huh. So, you know, we have, we have companies coming from Japan, a company called Tokyo Gas will be visiting us from Japan to mm -hmm. visit our site and look at our, uh, we, have a, we have a fully operational autonomous power plant powering an industrial district here in Southeast Queensland right now, uh. Uh, 24 hours a day. Renewable energy, it's incredible, right? So they're coming down to see it. You know, we have a ton of, pro of, of property developers, a ton of retirement community property developers. And this is a really big space for us, Vincent, right? Uh. These people are on fixed incomes and um, one very exciting project and, and what this particular customer wanted to do. And they're worried about the price volatility of energy and retirees being on fixed incomes. And certainly right. that makes perfect sense, right? And one thing that they want to do is just uh, build our systems into their, their facilities and offer their tenants some of the lowest cost electricity in the country because we don't have to pay transmission, distribution, grid access, you know, fuel to generate our energy. Our power plants just autonomously operate on site. Yeah. And that's, yeah. So they're going to be offering um, probably 14 cents or less cost per kilowatt hour energy on their side. Uh, yeah. And, and so there's probably two bits of this that I want to kind of go to. I think I'll ask the first bit first. Sure. That <laughs> sure. was recursive. But right up front, you talked about part of the challenge in Australia being that the infrastructure to provide energy is a big part in terms of the infrastructure. We have an un, you know disadvantage in that we're not Switzerland or Singapore with a small number, a large number of people in a small place. We're the opposite. And so there's kind of the benefits accrue to people who can generate and store and use energy locally because of this. Now, there's a bit of a challenge, obviously, because the fixed cost of the infrastructure doesn't disappear just because 90% of the energy is being produced locally. 
So presumably in a free market or in some kind of macro market that would respond to that, the cost of the fixed infrastructure would go up and you'd kind of borrow, beg from Peter to borrow to pay Paul or whatever exactly the saying goes. I guess that theme seems to have come through a lot in what you're doing, which is the only way to really have energy independence as a you know, multi-tenant dwelling or as a full residential neighbourhood is to be developed, is to be able to generate and store and use energy locally for overwhelmingly your energy needs. Is that kind of a core thematic of Rex? Absolutely. Look, what we need to, I mean, especially if you're building a new neighbourhood, right? No. It's almost a duty these days to make sure that the tenants that are investing into the properties, I mean, look, our properties in Australia are half a million dollars, a million dollars, two million dollars. We have some of the highest cost, you know, residential property in the world. And you should really get something for that. You shouldn't um, buy a tenancy or buy a home and then have to pay ridiculous energy bills on a monthly basis, right? Yeah. So the, the concept behind Rex Energy did, did start with, hey, can we produce 100% or even more uh, than 100% and support the grid with the additional energy, right? On uh, multi-tenant properties, store it and just supply that over a 24-hour period to the tenants, drop their cost of energy, and um, basically just have the grid sitting there as a backup for a rainy day when we need to import maybe 10% of the energy. Yep, got it. Okay, cool. And then so the, the follow-on sort of related question to that, which kind of came up in just talking about the developments, like you can take either example of a multi-tenant kind of um, environment, like a business environment, like a mall or shopping center, or like a new residential development. Who, who are the kind of stakeholders that you're having to deal with as Rex Energy or that are present in the ecosystem generally that are affected or are going to want to make decisions in regards to this? Building owners, uh, we're working with a ton of building owners. Building owners are approaching us proactively. Mm-hmm. Bonnie Corporates are actually calling us for residential sites. And uh-huh. we actually had a Bonnie Corporate in uh, Sydney contact us about a month and a half ago, Vincent, and they unanimously approved our project within three days. Yeah. What was the scale of that, by the way? Because yeah. I'm a president on a body on a strata committee just as a side note <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so the scale of that was so it's it's about a well you mean in dollars no no just in terms of how many apartments was it yeah 250 okay just as an adjunct question but is there a scale at which rex doesn't make sense anymore and you're just back into doing this at a residential level do you think or i mean there must be <laughs> we we had a we had a fella contact us um probably the smallest project we've ever looked at contacted us yeah it's like four tenants okay That's yes awesome. an industrial shed <laughs> Right. <laughs> I don't do this. I'm going to lose my tenants, you know, yeah, and, and so, yeah, we went. And so, you know, one thing we like to say to ourselves and, and we remind the team of it quite frequently is, you know, we're here to help people. Uh-huh. Very first, the, the very first thing, this, this product was designed to have a positive impact. It's been designed to do something positive for people, save them money, provide a revenue stream for building owners while saving their tenants money, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, Origin Energy or AGL or Energy Australia, whoever it may be, Alinta, they're all supplying everyone with energy from the grid and it's very expensive. Mm. Well, what happens when we can supply 100% of that energy or, um, or more or slightly less, it just depends on the site and the building, mm-hmm. from inside that facility and then intelligently distribute that, is distribute that energy to the tenants, drop the cost of energy and provide the owner who invested in those assets or if my company happens to invest in the assets with a new revenue stream. Hmm. Well, we're still, yeah. we're benefiting everyone. We're benefiting every single party. And we're also we benefiting the grid. There's a couple of things that happens is it deloads the energy grid, Vincent, hmm. right? So all of the energy that the, the power grids were having to supply to 
uh, one of our sites previously, they don't have to supply that over 24 hours anymore. That energy is now available for use elsewhere, which is wonderful. Right. The other thing that we're also able to do is take the energy we have stored in our batteries and support the power grids with energy, power, or frequency when they're when they are in peril, mm-hmm. when they need our help. Uh, and you use three words, Lynn, energy, power, and frequency? Yes. Yes. Just, just give me the definition of each of those three words. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So energy is kilowatt hours, right? So that's yep. power over a time period. So if you have one watt that operates an hour, that's one kilowatt, or, or sorry, you know, yep. you're, you're saying so, yeah. Watts, so, yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's energy over a period of time. Okay. Sorry, if you have a thousand watts operating an hour, that's one kilowatt hour, right? Yep. Understood. And frequency is hertz, right? So that's our cycles of energy. Sometimes the energy grid has some issues with controlling their hertz, which, you know, in, in Australia, we're 60. Right. Or sorry, 50, we're 50 hertz in Australia. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that, you know, we're, we're controlling that as well. Yeah, I guess the reason why I asked this is my, my worry and concern with the decentralization of energy creation and storage and usage, which absolutely makes sense, especially in a country like Australia, is you don't actually change the economics for the person who is operating the grid infrastructure, but it sounds like you do. Like if you read about every six months, there seems to be an article in the Australian usually uh, that is basically saying the reason South Australia's got no power is because of all their renewables, but often there's an interconnector that's fallen over between Queensland and or Victoria and and South Australia. Is part of the macro here that by doing this at a macro level, you're actually – mean that you can get a lot more out of the grid that you already have? Is that kind of what's happened or happen, will happen? You, you know, renewable energy has historically been applied in a very, let's call it, it's just dumb energy, right. just like anything else, right? So you, you slap a solar system on a house and it's 10 okay. kilowatts, right? So you're, 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 if you're not using 10 kilowatts, the rest of it's just running itself to the power grid, right? right. And um, it, or exporting to the power grid is, is what it would be called. And that creates a major issue, right? So the, okay. the power grids, our government really likes to have generators, or liked, they've been past tense, uh, to be turned on and operate in a more consistent fashion over a 24-hour period, right. right? Unfortunately, what's happened now, Vincent, is during the day, those uh, generators are not needed as much. But the second 2.30 p.m. comes around, or the sun deci- decides to, to, to head you know, head to the other side of planet Earth, yeah. then we need we need energy, right? And everyone's going home and everyone's cooking and turning air conditioners on, right? So suddenly the government's like, oh my God, we've got, you know, now now they need more energy. So we've right. got to turn up our generators. So this is the problem, the age-old problem with the application of renewable energy. It's just yeah. unharnessed. Yeah. And we can talk a little bit about, you know, during the course of this conversation about what we've done to solve those problems. Yeah. How we integrate, you know, a renewable energy in an intelligent fashion so that it benefits not just the tenants, the building owners, the body corporate, but it also benefits the local energy grids. Yeah, it's it's a perfect segue because I kind of now understanding a sense of the stakeholders and the pieces of the puzzle, and in the context of kind of multi-tenant or residential, give me a give me a sense of the pieces of the Rex Energy solution. And, and I know that the umbrella term of this thing is X one, but there's lots of bits in it from what I can tell. Yeah, yeah. break it down for us, and then let's dive into that. So look, you know, previously we were talking about smart meters and metering and all the rest, right? And that was what we found to be the major issue. Metering is just a smart or not smart, you know, it's just, it's been done the same way for a long time. And each tenant has their own meter. And it's just, uh, those meters have a lack of ability to communicate to anything other than, you know, this is how much you owe. This is how much money, you know, 
You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. so what? And, and not only that, we're talking about 30 minute interval readings. So we said, well, you know, nothing can be really done with 15 or 30 minute interval readings. We need to, we need to speed that up. We need real time data. Mm-hmm. So Rex Energy has integrated a real time metering system. Now, get a load of this in the space of kind of like half the size of a bar fridge, we can meter and monitor 112 tenancies. Right. That's yep. just a decent sized mall, a medium sized kind of unit block. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Whereas if you had 112 old school kind of you know, standard power meters, that would take up an entire, you know, massive room, right? Right. right. So our system meters and monitors every tenant's real time energy demand, and they are billing class meters. So you can't manage what you don't measure. So we measure everything. We measure the grid. We manage every single individual tenant's energy demand, um, every single tenant's, you know, energy usage, everything is metered. The um, community meter. So, you you know, in in multi-tenant properties, you also have a community meter where you have communal lighting in the hallways or outside, whatever it may be, right? So we meter everything. And then what that enables us to do, that real-time data enables us to then impose real-time control over top of all of the renewable assets on site. Mm-hmm. Uh, solar systems, solar inverters, batteries, battery inverters, everything. If the solar system is producing a megawatt of energy and the site demands 800 kilowatt hours, right, which is 200 kilowatt hours shy of a megawatt, yep. then what we do is we then take that 200 kilowatt hours and we insert that into the battery system for later, right? It's like a bank that we use and we just store that energy inside that bank. Our energy that we produce on site is either directly sold on site or stored in the energy storage and then supplied to the tenants after the sun goes down on site. Uh-huh. It doesn't escape itself to the power grid unless we instruct it to, to support the power grid in times of peril. Yeah. Right. Or opportunity. Uh, or opportunity. Yeah. If there's a big opportunity and we can make 10 times the amount of money and give everybody free energy for the night, then by gosh, we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, regardless, the same amount of renewable energy is either being discharged to the grid or discharged to the site. So we're very happy, which is why we kind of, you know, the, the first name of the product was the Renewable Energy Exchange. Right. Because we could said, you know, it, it's intelligent and it sends energy wherever uh, we desire. So um, look, that's that's the the foundation of what we've developed. But we also then make that uh, data available to the tenants, right? In real time, their mobile phones become their power meters. Okay. Uh, so a tenant can open up their mobile phone and they can see their real-time energy demand. They can see their energy bill in- for this term increasing in real time as they right. use it, right? Awesome, uh, but kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, also but kind of scary. Yeah, yeah, they, they might go, oh my God, kids, turn off those lights. You might end up facing <laughs> things a little bit better, right? Um, yeah, no Xbox tonight, you know? So, uh, but, but uh, aside of that, Great data for the tenants because it helps to educate people on how energy actually works. Mm-hmm. They've never had this information before. You know, I don't know if you have like AGL's app. AGL's app updates every 24 to 72 hours. Right. Great. That's worthless, right? <laughs> so you can't, you know, you, you t- if you're cooking dinner on your inductive cooktop and you're going, ah, I'm using a ton of energy right now. I'm going to make this quick or whatever. Yeah, you you just think things through a bit better, right? Yeah. Uh, and so we want to make sure we're arming tenants with that information. And then the other thing that it does is it, you know, they can pay their bill on it. They can export renewable energy data from it. And when they're in a community of, let's say, a building or a retirement village, we also provide them with an opportunity to contribute positively to a cause every month for their own community. So 
if somebody's uh, kid has fallen ill and they need um, some extra capital, then everyone can say, um, I, I would like to add a, a cent to my each kilowatt hour and I want that to go to this family at the end of mm. wow. this month. So we want to make energy positive, Vincent. You know, yeah. it's, it's been such a negative for so long. Let's, let's do something good. You know, I think that was uh, the first energy joke, by the way. Yeah. Positive <laughs> and negative. <laughs> that's it <laughs> uh, yeah okay yeah i mean look i think i mean there's so much of this that's that's fascinating and obviously once people you said it right before right if people can measure things and they can manage things right they can change behaviors i have my customer of amber so i have the ability to turn on my induction or non-induction or, or whatever it is electricity based based on 30 minutes increments and that absolutely uh changes the dynamic i wondered i'm curious you will have seen, you know, new builds, right? Where someone says a new mall and look, we're putting in a Rex from day one. Yeah. But where you've gone and found a site that wasn't Rex and it's become Rex, tell me what the impact was in, in whatever quantification you want. Yeah. For instance, the industrial district that we're in right now, right? So prior to Rex Energy, I think the, the tenants were paying somewhere around 38, 38 cents a kilowatt hour all up plus your daily fees and your metering charges and all of that stuff. So it was probably a bit more than that if you if you divided it out properly. Uh-huh. Now, we installed our system here and the tenants are saving roughly 50% on their energy costs. Wow. And these are businesses. Yeah. These are businesses, Vincent, that if they're not saving money, then the cost of their product delivered to Australians is going up. Uh-huh. Right? And you think inflation's bad. It's going to get a heck of a lot worse when, you know, the highest overhead that businesses pay besides their manpower increases by another 56%. Uh, I was thinking as well, like if you're a business that's operating on 10% margin and 4% of your costs a year, like you're literally doubling your margin just by changing, making an energy decision that's different. Big time. Yeah. I, there's a there's actually a dog food manufacturer in one of the tenancies and they've got a ton of refrigeration. Right. And, you know, they're, they are just as pleased as can possibly be with what's happened, right? So not only are they saving money on their energy, but they're also consuming renewable energy during mm. the- And it, what's the metric on that? Is it like 50% more renewable energy? I mean, it will depend obviously on where the site is, but what are you seeing in, in some of those uh, cases? Th- this particular site, it, we average about a 90%, 94% renewable energy supply. Wow. Uh, just in, like on a rolling quarterly basis or something? Ab- absolutely, yeah. That's phenomenal. Uh, so we cover almost all of the energy demand. We could way over cover, and we will very soon. Uh, I'd really love to talk about the future of the energy grids hmm. and where it's heading, if that's okay. Yeah, it's a really good segue. Well, we'll, let's do it. <laughs> awesome. So we're, we're going to be doing a couple of amazing things here, right. and th- there are reasons for this. And uh, so we're, we're developing some new software right now, some communication software. I'm sure you figured out there's a huge disconnect between solar inverters, battery inverters, batteries, tenancy demand, metering, all of that, none of it talks to one another. Right. So and that's what the next one does. across as well, presumably. What's that? And across different sites, none of it talk to each other. None of it talks to one another across different sites, but certainly even on a specific site, uh-huh. everybody, you know, the battery manufacturer is not the solar manufacturer. They're right. not the solar inverter manufacturer. They're not the battery inverter manufacturer. So there's all of these disconnects in the renewables market, right, Vincent? And this is one of the biggest challenges that exists in the marketplace right now because, you know, you can have a commercial building and you go, hey, I, I want to install uh, solar and battery and do this and do that and do this. And then you're generally the uh, electrician goes, look, I just don't know how to do it. Right. Right. Because there's just too many moving parts. So Rex Energies X1 integrates everything 
in an intelligent fashion inside a, a distribution system, a yeah. complex distribution system, your multi-tenant distribution system. Because when, when we were talking about speed of metering, I'll just go back to this real quick. Huh. We know exactly where the energy is coming from, whether it's grid or it's solar. If it's 98% solar and 2% grid, we know. And then you can see that on your mobile phone as a tenant as well. Huh. You can see right now I'm consuming 98% renewable and 2% grid. That's awesome, yep. right? Yep. Now, what I think is about to happen with the energy grids, and um, look, it, it is happening, but let's talk about EVs real quick mm-hmm. because uh, electric vehicles are something that everybody talks about. It's a, it's a hot topic. The government's making laws that are eventually going to force us into EVs, right? But our infrastructure is not ready to support it, and it will take trillions of dollars of investment to pave the way to enable uh, the transition to electric vehicles, right? This has a lot to do with our, the capacity within our transmission distribution systems, right? So existing facilities, your transformers that exist, those medium voltage to low voltage mm-hmm. transformers yep. are not designed to be able to charge vehicles and supply energy to buildings. Right, so at the scale that's needed for 200 AVs in no one way. residential apartment. No way. Not even, not even a, a 20% uptake in EVs. Wow. It, it, it's, it's not prepared for it. Right. Uh, so supercharging one EV in real time, Vincent, consumes as much energy as a Coles or Woolworths with every refrigeration, lighting, and air conditioning load turned on simultaneously. Yeah, one right. EV. Wow. Okay. So, so imagine if you're at work. Uh, imagine how many times do you go to charge your mobile phone? It's all the time. <laughs> and it doesn't charge. And you're like, oh, it didn't charge. You know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, I forgot to charge my phone. Or, it ruined my day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I'm going to be behind the eight ball charging my phone all day long. So people are going to need to supercharge their vehicles. They're going to need to. That's a reality. And so what does that mean? How, how do we do that? Because our infrastructures, it, it'll, co- it'll send us back to the dark ages, right? So what we're doing here is we are going to be installing some EV chargers, superchargers. And because we use a very special battery system, a titanate oxide battery system that enables us to discharge energy very quickly and has an extremely long life expectancy. I mean, we're talking, depending on how we utilize the battery, 30 to 50 years. Right. Okay. And um, an EV will pull up and it will say, I need to supercharge. And we will then charge it only with the available capacity of the battery and the direct solar that is available in the site, right? And because we don't believe that anyone should be permitted to supercharge from the power grid. I think that's a huge mistake. Just because of the impact it would have if 20% or more people did it. It it will have a massive impact. The other thing, if you can imagine, per kilowatt of demand, if you were to take uh, a, let's say a 150 kilowatt EV supercharger, and we were to multiply that by, let's say, some sites pay 26 bucks per kilowatt, you know, mm. in, in monthly demand. So you'd be 150 times 26 bucks. That means one charge will cost you $3,900. Right. We'll cost that site $3,900 in just demand charges. Got it. Well, that's not very smart, is it? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So we're trying to avoid all of that. So right. we're, we're building software to make sure that we're also able to intelligently expand our battery systems, expand the solar systems on site and accommodate for EV uptake as well. Got it. And I want to, I, this is a really good segue because one of the things that was interesting to me when I watched the video, um, so I've had some experience of, of kind of systems that are metering and smart metering on steroids, like what you were talking about. 
But what was really clear about what you were doing at Rex was the importance of how closely you were integrating the hardware that wasn't the metering. Metering is obviously hardware as well, but the solar and the storage. It sounds to me like you're not trying to build your own solar, but are staying a lot closer on the storage side. I'm curious about that aspect. Am I right, firstly? But then also, just talk me through that a bit, because that that felt counterintuitive that you would kind of have to go into the hardware business on how to build great storage to be able to make this work, or is that what's happening or not? What we've been doing, uh, look, we are going to make some marketplace acquisitions, Vincent. That's uh, a, without any question. Um, it's something that we've been talking to our investor core about, and we are looking at making acquisitions, but we're not going to run acquisitions on lithium battery manufacturers. Right. We, we want to do something that, you know, we think that the future is not lithium. We believe the future is something else. So I'm, I'm very impressed with a few different types of products out there right now. I love the concept of storing energy in capacitors because, you know, capacitors are a quite an interesting product as well, but that requires a bit more research and development on our end. We do have some products and we are prepared to execute that research and development from a hardware perspective now. But I, we are, the lithium titanate oxide or LTO batteries, you, you, know, you can literally um, eat scrambled eggs off of these things while they're operating and it's not going to kill you, right? <laughs> they, they can't catch fire, uh, right. right? So uh, they're safe to integrate into facilities. They have a long life expectancy. I can charge them quickly and discharge them quickly without fear of degradation of their lifespan. And um, so, okay, so that's ticked a lot of boxes. They are more expensive, but of course they last longer, so I don't have to do cell replacements, right? right. So we're, what, what Rex Energy's product, uh, the X1, is able to do, it's agnostic to how energy is actually produced, and it's also agnostic to how energy is stored. Our software yeah. can be tuned to different types of um, energy storage, but certainly different types of, you know, it's not necessarily energy storage, it's the battery inverters that that we like to speak to. And the battery inverters manage the battery anyways, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we were able to talk to different types of products out there. You know, if, if we were in Papua New Guinea supplying energy to a rural village, which we would love to do someday, you know, again, going back to the purpose of our product, it's, you know, we want to help people first. That's our objective, right? We want to help people. And if we can do some third world projects and um, help bring energy and, and you know, with energy, uh, you know, for rural villages, you can get clean water infrastructure, yeah. right? You can get healthcare infrastructure for these wonderful people. You can help their economy to flourish, which is also quite positive. So, but we can do that with our product, but we would use different types of production. We would use potentially um, hydro uh, or hydro wind and solar, a combination of different types of energy, energy production. And also we would be able to then choose the correct energy storage product for each application as well, Vincent. Yep. And, you know, and that's really important. So we made sure that when we developed this product, we could plug and play different types of products. Really, it's a vehicle to market mm. for renewable energy products because everyone's making widgets but right. no one's talking about how to make the widgets talk to one another. Right, right. Understood. It just it just it felt to me like there was like the idea of a saline battery was talked about like in the video, for example. Yes. Specifically. But part of reading between the lines here is like everyone defaults to lithium because it's kind of in the cars. But what cars solving for is an energy to weight, an energy to density ratio that makes it feasible to put it in a car and not have a car that weighs four thousand kilos. But when yeah. you're talking about energy on site at a or storage on site at a location, you're potentially less worried about energy density or even the size of the thing, even if they're economically different. Is, is that part of it is that it's not fit for purpose and type of energy storage that you're going to need to do or in long term may not be the best option? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we, you're exactly right. So energy density is not necessarily as important when we're dealing with 
sites, you right. know, where we have, uh, you know, let's say 10 car parks that people can't park the cars in because they're just tucked into a corner. Right. So, well, well, those areas can be repurposed right. and become energy storage centers for us. Yeah. Uh, if we have a ton of land area outside, in, uh, let's say on a, um, on an 800 home retirement village, and we can then build an architectural building around some energy storage and it just looks like a pretty feature on the land, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and we're going to be using the, the right product for the right location instead of just being pigeonholed into consistently using lithium. Because yeah, yeah. everybody does. Yeah, and, well, that's kind of. I, I feel like that feels like part of the system we've inherited at the moment. In storage is all lithium, and everyone goes, "There's yeah. all these problems with lithium." Like, like that's the only storage option available. I'm curious about one other thing as well, and it's only a side note, but sure. Um, you talk a little bit about the idea that there's a, a revenue opportunity for the building manager or the building <laughs> owner, and then there's also a opportunity for. And it sounds like it can be a win-win. But do you do you encounter a competitive tension there between the people who own the building and the people who are tenants in the building, or no? Not at all. Uh, you, you would think that we would. We yeah. don't at all. Uh, here's what's really interesting. It's odd. The, the majority of people that are approaching us who are building owners yeah. are actually saying they want to save their tenants money. Right. Right. Because they want to retain them. Presumably. They want to retain them. They, mm. they, they say, hey, you know what? If I install some systems now and I'm saving my tenants money on their outgoings, which is very important. Yeah. You know, because generally, you know, when you're when you're leasing, you know, per square meter, it's it's very similar. One fit out to another, one type of building to another. If it's commercial, industrial space, or or if it's you know, let's say, uh, retail space or whatever, your your per square meter cost is very much the same. Mm. It really comes down to location and outgoings. Right. So a lot of these owners are coming to us and saying, I want to reduce my carbon emissions because I want to be able to tell the world about that or brag about that in the marketplace to attract new tenants. But I also want to attract new tenants by saying we have lower cost energy. So mm -hmm. that's what we're finding. And historically though, in the marketplace, you've seen embedded network operators install, you know, an embedded network gate meter because the owner wants to, it wants to install an embedded network meter. And then they install some solar behind the meter just to offset what they're importing. Right. And the tenants get receive no benefit to that. Right. Well, Rex Energy will never do a project like that because right. first and foremost, this was designed to benefit the People. tenants right. and the owners. Mm. And if that's not happening, then we won't do the project. Yeah, that's fascinating because I think part of this is, and part of what maybe didn't work with embedded networks is they said, oh, look, there's this trapped audience here who'd have to buy energy from you if you install this thing. How can yep. we extract value from that? I'm like, well, that isn't doesn't sound like a win-win. So it's no. part of the culture of you and the business such that you you actually have to embed that, sorry for another energy joke, into <laughs> into the nature of what you're doing so that you're actually aligning the outcomes for all of those stakeholders. 100%. So uh, look, it, it's we just won't work with people who who want to just turn it into a cash cow. It's just, it's mm. not an option. Mm. So if the tenants are not benefiting, then there's no project. Mm. Yeah. Or uh, we can install the systems and benefit the tenants and then you know, the God. building owner wouldn't have to invest invest into it at all. Mind well, if you do it, I don't want to invest in it, but if you want to come and invest in it and make it work, that's fascinating. Just yeah. on that model, just as a so in some cases you're the actual operator of the network. Yep. Rather than the, the owner. Wow. Yeah. How do you evaluate that? Uh well, so for instance, up at this retirement village that we're getting we're prepping up to do in mm -hmm. northern Queensland, it has about eight hundred tenants. And the site owner is going to basically have us come in. They're going to pay to have us come in and install our infrastructure. 
they're going to pass those costs on to the tenants when they buy their tenancies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, on a, on an equitable yep. uh, fa- grandfathered right. location, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let's let's say the project costs a certain amount of million dollars. Then you know that that amount of money divided by eight hundred tenancies is the cost that gets added to each tenancy. Mm-hmm. And then all we do is we charge a fee to operate the network with our software and our systems. And it, that also pays for future software upgrades and all the rest. Mm-hmm. And and then we also um, handle the maintenance. So look, that's how we're going to deliver probably 14 cents or less uh, cost energy to the tenants of that retirement village. Mm. That's learning. I mean, well, it kind of feels like the lift in the in the apartment, right? There's a someone has to come in and install the lift. Someone has to maintain the lift. But no one's paying to get in the lift every time. They're like, because I live here, I get access to a lift. I don't have to take the stairs. Yep. It becomes a utility scale infrastructure at that scale rather than at kind of, you know, macro global scale. I want to come back to something that you just said or you touched on before when we were talking about Papua New Guinea, which was kind of what we would love. Like those were the words you used. Like what is the love here? Like what what do you what is it that you guys would just love to be doing as a company from where you are now? And I'm trying to understand what's next on the milestones and, and the, you know, the radar to be, to be getting to like the point where you're like, wow, now we're really cooking with gas, even though it sounds like you're cooking with gas already. Yeah. Well, look, it's all about us getting out there into the marketplace and making a difference, helping businesses to survive, helping people to lower their, their overheads. And, um, uh, you, you know, and we can only do that these days with on-site generated stored distributed product energy. That's it. Right. That's the only way to say it, 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 the volatility, you call it volatility. It's just going up. I don't know if it's volatile. It's really just a 45 degree angle right. cost of energy. You know, right. we, we call it price volatility. It's certainly right. not volatile. It's just going up. We want to make a difference. We want to make a difference. We want to make a difference, not just with people who have, who you know, live and work in properties, but we also want to make a difference in rural communities who are really struggling. And, um, so, you know, look, it's, it's something that we aspire to do. You know, I've started some discussions with the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. I'm actually going to India to meet the federal government, um, on, on invitation in January. The, the Indian federal government? Yeah. The federal government of India in Delhi. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, and we're going to be talking about how Rex Energy can have a positive impact throughout India. Yeah. And helping to control their cost of energy as well. You know, we've been contacted by let's say Middle Eastern investors who would love to invest in Rex Energy and help the UAE, help Africa as well uh, with, with their energy overheads. Because it's this the centralized energy grid problem is not just isolated to Australia. Yeah, it's no. happening everywhere. But yeah. one of the most important things that I think we can do as a company is really jump into the Pacific. Because the uh. Pacific, they burn diesel. 24 hours a day, you know, 365 days a year just to power everything. Right. And um, and we would really love to reduce their dependence on diesel because it's breaking them. The cost of diesel is increasing significantly, as you would probably mm-hmm. know. Yep. And something needs to be done about it. Um, these are already pretty disadvantaged countries mm. who really need help. You know, we're, we're just in the early stages, very early stages right now, but there's a lot of U.S., United States capital out there and even Australian capital out there to help uh, set our infrastructure and make a difference. And so, uh, so, Vincent, if you ask me what's on the horizon, what's my passion? My passion is making a difference. Yeah. 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 I mean, you've got unlimited opportunity to do so, I would suggest, in energy. There's a lot. <laughs> you threw about it's a pretty big number at the start. I want to ask kind of one final question, which kind of relates to how you ended up doing this. Like it is predominantly what sounds like an American accent. Yes. Hopefully sir. I'm not getting that wrong. 
but with the slightest amount of Australian twang. So I'm trying to understand that arc of the story, but put that in the context of Rex for me as well. Sure. sure. Well, I grew up in the United States, grew up in, in a little town called Dublin, Ohio in, uh, in the United States. Maybe it's not a little town anymore. It seemed like it back then. It's, uh, it's where kind of the, the Memorial Golf Tournament takes place every year, the PGA. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's just a golf community. It's a beautiful place. I grew up there. You know, I, I ended up uh, working as an energy consultant, consulted to the U.S. Uh, military, almost every branch of the, the Marines, primarily the Marines, Army, Air Force, a little bit with the Navy, uh, even did a little bit of consulting with the Department of Defense, uh, or sorry, the Department of Homeland Security as well. Yeah. Then I moved to Australia about 10 years ago, and it was just, I was tired. You know, I, I kind of just, the United, United States has just seemed like it was just trying to figure out who it is. It still is trying to figure out who it is. Right. And I wanted to come to a country with better weather for the love of God. <laughs> I, I I was so sick of snow, Vincent. So, you know, I had some friends here in Brisbane and I went, I'm out, I'm out. Never. Um, it's true. I, it sounds stupid, but, you know, I, you know, everybody speaks English here. At least I thought yep. you know, before I moved here, but it's a different type of English. I remember the first time I heard somebody call someone a bloke. I thought I thought they were cursing at them. You know, talking about their thong, and you're like, what the, what the hell? Yeah, what, what? <laughs> well, I don't, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but, yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> mate, we could do this all day. I mean, there were so many, you know, I remember I sat down with some very, very Australian people my first few days here, and I probably captured 20% of the conversation. <laughs> I don't know. But look, I, I ended up kind of designing and building embedded network infrastructure uh, uh, for a while. and Four uh, other companies. Yeah, for other companies. So, you know, I, I worked with some of the really large energy retailers, worked with some of the little energy retailers, worked with some embedded network operators, you know. And so I, I think that um, it, it wasn't necessarily through that journey that I figured this out. It was a little bit before then that, that I figured out there was a big issue. Uh-huh. So I was working with a, um, they, they, these people who owned pubs and clubs and they were building a shopping center uh-huh. and a hotel and a few other things. And I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, why can we not install solar here and, su- and supply all of these people with, with energy from solar and, you know, meter it properly and, you know, and figure out who's consuming what, you know, whether it's solar or whether it's grid energy. And, you know, I remember the, the gentleman that I was standing next to when I first had said that, he goes, oh, that's all too hard, mate. Right. Yeah. And, and I, that stuck with me for a long time, Vincent. Right. Yeah. And then as I'm designing and building embedded networks, I'm looking at all of these multi-tenant properties. These, these people are at the mercy of the energy grids, uh-huh. right? These um, shopping centers, these homemaker centers, these everyone, you know, these residential townhouse communities, everyone, they're all at the mercy of the energy grids. And, and, I, and I'm looking, I'm wondering, why is there no renewable energy installed uh-huh. in these buildings or in these properties? And so I, I started to do some research and began to unravel what the real problem was. And it really came down to the fact that and you know, renewable energy and energy itself was just historically dumb. Mm. Um, and I needed to add intelligence and telecom infrastructure to it. So, you know, basically I went out, I hired um, telecom electrical, you had telecom engineers, electrical engineers, software developers, uh, low voltage switchboard engineers, you know, de-risking people, uh, you know, and I threw everybody into a room and I said, look, Here's my idea. We've got to make it work. These people need our help. And um, the X1 is what we came up with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a fascinating life story. And the thing that I um, still would love to just understand as part of that is what, I mean, 
you know, the fact that you're out solving energy and using renewables to do it kind of makes it impact-led by default. But I remember seeing a TED talk with a guy who used to dig up coal now says he's part of the energy transition because he's now digging up gas. And I said, clearly he's seeing a commercial opportunity and it just happens to be pivoted in the right direction. Rex is actually purpose-led in what you're doing and how you're doing it. Where does that part of this ethos come from for you? Well, you know, I always said if I was going to, if I were going to found a company and be the founder of, of, of a big company, that company needed to have a positive impact, right? My heart would not be in it, Vincent, if we were not doing something that was actually designed to do something good for humanity and, mm. and good for people and, and is in a space that's needed. You know, when we talk about money, money is one thing and you have to have money to make a business work and that's all aside. And, you know, we have great people at our company and that surround us that pay attention to all of that. But the wonderful thing, uh, gift that I've been given by those people is the ability to just laser focus on on doing what's good. And, mm. and I think that as long as I focus and our company focuses on, on helping others and helping businesses and helping buildings and body corporates and the people and the tenants that reside within to reduce their overheads and reduce their carbon emissions, this is really important, right? I mean, you know, look, we, you know, energy historically has been generated by coal, right? And lithium, mining lithium is horrific for the environment. It's horrific. Right. And we still have actually not truly figured out how to recycle lithium 100% and make that a cost-effective operation either, Vincent, right? So, and anyone who says that we have is not being truthful. Right. Uh, so so I, I think that, you know, we're, we are very purpose, we're, we're absolutely purpose-led. And I, I think that's actually got a lot to do with our success. Because when we sit down with a customer or a client or somebody who needs our help, we're sitting down with them with the primary objective to help them. Mm. Our primary objective isn't to make money off of them like a stockbroker might be when they're meeting with you or whomever. It's, it's our objective is to help people. And that's, that's um, I think that's really um, being led by positivity and good nature has actually turned, turned our company into something that's, that's just brilliantly successful. Look, we get inbound inquiries every day now. And we started advertising six weeks ago and we have over $45 million of opportunity into the pipeline. Yeah, that's a, that's a positive ROI that the marketing agency will probably claim. claim uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. And, and I think the majority, you know, and, and that's, just, um, that's just inbound inquiries and whatnot. Mm. But I think, you know, in the future, what's going to start to happen is good folks like yourself and people, you know, that we speak to, this is how people are really going to find out about us. Uh, and this is how people are really going to find out about the heart and soul of who we are and what we're trying to do out there. And and I think that somebody's got to do it, Vincent. You know, somebody had to do the hard yards. Yeah, so we, look, we raised $3 million to build this technology and it took us uh, just under two years. But this is going to blow your mind. On the same day that we were seed funded, okay, in 2019, in November of 2019, yep. was the same day that we fully energized our first power plant. Right. Uh, this year. Yes. Yeah. 24 right. months. Okay, ago. right, two years to the day. Two years to the exact day. Timed perfectly. Let's push it back two more days. We're just going to... Yeah, it wasn't us. It was, you know, it was actually Energy Queensland and our engineers who had to push it back. And, and it, we, I, we turned it on and I said, you know what's crazy about what we just did? And um, there's got to be some kind of, you know, I don't know, some kind of weird something happening there. Who knows? But look, we're, we're really grateful uh, to be where we are today and to be able to help people. And, you know, these the energy industry is just... 
globally crumbling. It really, yeah. I don't know if you know what happened in California, just real quick. Oh, um, the, with the f- lines, the tra- the energy distribution lines and the, the 150 year old thing that way, you know, got rid of it and then it started a brush fire. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Or? That was also really bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a few unfortunate things happening in California, but you know, California announced, uh, you know, I don't know, it was a month or so ago and they go, yeah, okay. You know, we're a hundred percent, you know, of our, of our whole state is going to be transitioned to EVs and a hundred percent of it's going to renewables. And then the very next day, the very next day, the <laughs> government prevents everyone from charging their EVs so they don't collapse the power grids. <laughs> We're being cut out. You're not allowed to use anyone charges their EV. Yeah, exactly. So this is this is the concern, and I what I what I really appreciate about you know petrol engine vehicles is we have freedom today, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've got to make sure that we build uh, the future of our energy intelligently. You know, the future energy distribution, uh, on-site generation, and all the rest intelligently, so that we can continue to perpetuate the freedom that people have, Vincent, right? What we don't want to have is the government telling people, I'm sorry, you can't go to work today because you can't charge your vehicles, you know, or you're going to have to find a way to make it to public transport in order to then, you know, make it to work because we're not going to allow you to charge your vehicles. It's a hot day and everyone's running in their air conditioning. We don't want that to happen. So, you know, companies like mine are, are out there. We're the sentinels. We're the ones throwing the punches to make sure that everyone has a very bright future and and it has a lot to do with energy. It's one of the four pillars of society. Yeah. So yeah, man, that's that's what we're up to. That's wonderful. I think we'll leave it there. By the way, you managed to get our third energy joke with bright future just at the end there. That was perfect. We did. We did. I knew these we are dad jokes, man. We've got to write these down, and I've got to tell them to my daughter. <laughs> I'm sure she'll appreciate them and roll her eyes. Scott, yes, epic talk, right. dude. That was one of our one of our fullest interviews. We covered a lot and we did it quickly as well. So there was, I hope there was a lot in there for everyone. I'm really excited to, for what you guys are doing. Uh, separately, I want to talk to you about our apartment block because even though it's small scale, not four, it's bigger than that. I, I love the idea that we might even be able to do this at a personal level in, in things I'm involved in. I think for me, that's part of what the excitement was in talking to you today was was being able to relate to this personally, and hopefully, a lot of the people listening are thinking I'm in a, you know, in an aged care facility or I'm about to buy a new off-the-plan development or I'm building one of those or I work in a retail mall and I, I have no idea where energy comes from. Like the idea that that seems to touch a lot of people feels like it's going to be highly relevant. So thank you again. Oh, Vincent, thank you. And you're always happy to help, mate. Uh, we're standing by. So thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Shape the System. As usual, if you'd like to suggest a guest, someone that you know who's helped change a system for the better, please go to www.shapethesystem.org, click on the top right-hand corner, then click Suggest Guest. Make sure that you click Subscribe so that you get the new episode. Shape the System is an independent podcast with support from KPMG High Growth Ventures. Connects founders to the services they need along their journey. Whether you are looking to refine your strategy, mature your finance function, prepare for a capital raise, expand abroad, or simply comply with regulatory requirements, they provide you with the support you need to drive your business forward.